Hello, welcome to Enlightened Empaths with Samantha and Denise. We are so happy that you are joining us once again. This week, we are going to be discussing how to set and honor boundaries with empaths, especially sometimes we have a hard time setting our boundaries and making our no mean no and our yes mean yes. So Denise and I are going to share some tips and techniques to help us all navigate the tricky world of setting boundaries. And we're going to share some stories of how we have learned this in our own lives and are still learning it in many ways for ourselves as well. Um, if you have comments, questions, suggestions you would like to add to this discussion, please join us on Facebook at Enlightened Empaths and let us know if you have any questions or things you want us to add or topics you want us to discuss, um, and we will do our best to honor those requests. So, Denise, how would you define a boundary? Like, when we say a boundary, what does that mean? Well, and, and that's, I think that it's an overused word right now. Everyone is always saying, you need better boundaries. You need to do this. But I think it's a very personalized thing. And does it, for, for an empath, is this something I really want to be doing? Is this something that um, I'll enjoy doing? Is this something that I'm able to do? I think we have to ask ourselves some questions and say, am I just saying yes because I feel like I have to, but I really don't want to do this? I think it, it, it ties into the self-care piece. It also ties into um, setting the the uh, parameters of I'm I'm more than willing to help when it's appropriate, but it's not my constant job to do so. Right, I agree, and and I agree that boundary is an overused word in the vein of closure. Right, you need closure. Yes, I don't know what the heck that <laughs> means. Uh, but to me, a boundary is a definition of how you will allow people to treat you. And I think if you think, you know, think about what a boundary does in, in normal life, right? Like curbs and sidewalks keep the boundary of a road in place. So it kind of helps us navigate our driving experience. I think boundaries in relationships help us navigate the flow of give and take in a relationship. And without an equal flow of give and take in a relationship, you are not going to have a healthy, happy, or harmonious relationship. So boundaries set the tone for the, um, for the whole relationship. And if you are someone who walks around with no boundaries, meaning, you know, you're too much of an open book, you let people in too easily, you trust everyone, you never say no to a request for help, you allow people to treat you however they choose to treat you, well, then you're going to be like a road with no boundaries and people are going to drive all over you. So it's important to think about the boundaries that you are setting consciously or subconsciously. And then to start working on setting boundaries that are healthier for you. I think most of us um, tend to set unhealthy boundaries because we are concerned with being liked and accepted and approved of. And really, if you want to be liked and accepted and approved of, the best thing you can do is set a boundary rather than not set a boundary. That was very well put. And it, and it also, it defines that it, it, it allows ownership. It brings it back to, I'm making this decision to, to honor you, but also to honor myself. And to honor myself. Exactly. Right. Because I think it's important. Empaths, we are just nice people for the most part. And because of that, we tend to try our best to see the good in everyone. And I think that's lovely, but Oftentimes, that's a recipe for us getting hurt because there are negative people out there who will knowingly or unknowingly take advantage of our kindness. And it's up to us to stop that. It's not up to them. You know, we're not going to stop every narcissist by going, now that's not nice. And, and that's, that's interesting. When I read this little bit and it was saying, you know, empaths, true empaths are really the opposite of a psychopath or a psychotic who feels nothing. We feel everything. So the fact that empaths tend to attract narcissists and narcissists tend to attract empaths also is reflected in this incredible polarity that's going on energetically in the world right now. So we're just a smaller 
version of that with our interactions with people. And the more we do to heal our peace and raise our vibrational level and say, you know, no, I'm not going to be treated this way. I truly believe we're sending that energy out, which is also healing on a larger scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, I think um, the narcissist empath relationship is a relationship made in hell. But um, in the beginning, it might look like a relationship made in heaven, because yes. all the empath wants to do is take care of you and help you and fix you and you know, be your comforter, your cheerleader, your supporter, your nurturer. And all the narcissist wants to do is focus on themselves and be the victim and play the victim and take and take and take and take from you. So it's kind of like, um, I always think about it like, like a restaurant owner, right? Like a restaurant owner, all they want to do is cook great food. And all a customer wants to do is eat great food. But if that customer is constantly coming in and they're never paying their bill, eventually that restaurant owner is going to resent cooking that food and not want to do it because there has to be that flow of give and take. And with a narcissist, there can be no give. It's only take. Right. And I think that we may not even be aware. You you nailed it. We, We might not even be aware of that until we're so immersed in a situation or a relationship that you start looking around and saying, oh, my goodness, how, the, how did this happen? How did, how did this get so far out of control? Why am I feeling so depleted? Why is this so unbalanced? Um, we're living, empaths live in high definition. And we're, we're, so that intensity, but it also is why there's such a, we've talked about this before, why it's such a delicate balance between uh, codependence and, and being an empath. Because we're almost geared towards that, type of a, a relationship because of, of the dynamics of how deeply we feel things and how the people we may tend to attract. Yes. And, you know, it's it's tricky because the empath, I feel that empaths have natural intuitive ability, which means they have that built-in lie detector, right? Where we just kind of know yes. when people are lying to us. However, at the same time, with the same strength, we have this innate ability to see the best in people. Now, energy vampires, narcissists, sociopaths, whatever you want to call them, they have lots of hidden and explicit talents and skills as well. And one of their skills is to manipulate a situation. And one of the ways they do that is by lying beautifully and manipulating us with lots of false compliments and praise. And they're really good at it. Yeah, they're so good at it. They'll they'll come up to you and be like, Denise, you are the best teacher I have ever known. I mean, the kids just relate to you. You get stuff to come out of them that nobody can. You get the best work out of these students. You're just amazing. I think you should be teacher of the year. Is there any way, because you're so amazing, that you could take over my class for the next three Saturdays? That was a very good example, by the way. It's uh, spot on because it is subtle and it's couched as being a positive, being um, a compliment, being something that is acknowledging a piece of us that we we either do feel good about or we want to feel good about. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, as as empaths, we have a hard time when we sense negativity in people because especially, and I don't, I don't want to make this show ever a female male thing, but I think women in particular are taught to always be nice. It's kind of ingrained of us sugar and spice and all that's nice and always be nice and always smile and always say yes, please. And thank you. And so we're kind of raised with that, you know, unspoken mantra going on in our head to be nice, to be kind, to be pleasing. And then when we are presented with someone who's going to take advantage of that, we have these two wars going on in our head. The intuitive piece saying, hey, they're lying to you, wake up. And the empathic piece saying, no, but you need to be nice and they need help. And they're asking so nicely. Yes, exactly. Which goes into that as, as you know, conductors and conduits, we might not be, even be aware of how deeply rooted this is and what the, the true dynamics of a relationship are. And I think we touched on that a few minutes ago, but it, it can be 
I am, we've said this before as well, people may present as charming, as uh, vivacious, as gregarious, as, you know, they're just, they're, they're the package. And we do, we fall in love or we, we fall into friendships or relationships in a work environment. And then as time goes on, when your gut starts to twist a little bit or you get that feeling something doesn't add up or you start picking up on those subtle differences, it, pay attention to that because you, you you know your radar is is kicking in and saying this isn't a healthy place for you to be mm-hmm. yeah and it can be really really subtle things you know like yes. I had a pretty uh, big event in my life a couple of weeks ago and one friend who's like a super true blue amazing friend she wrote it on her calendar she called me the night before she called me the day of hope it all goes well I have another friend who's a little bit of an energy vampire, never heard from her. Um, Two days later, she called and was like, hey, how's your week going? Like totally forgot about this really important event in my life. And I thought, you know, that's kind of a sign Mm -hmm. that they're a little self-focused. So sometimes it's not anything overt, like being mean or cruel. It's just these little subtle signs that they're just not thinking about you. It's all about them. That's a really good, good point because, and I'm just thinking I had a flash of, of a friendship that, that dissolved due to some, some differences. And we had been friends for quite a long, long time. And I would still, if I see this person, I'm very congenial, all of those things. But when we met, we were very young. We were in a very different place. I didn't have the skills I have now as far as I mean, where you're coming from when you're 17, 18, 19 years old and where you're coming through from at as an adult or at midlife or older, you've you've developed some patterns with people when there's a long term relationship. And you may you say, oh, this is just the way we are or this is the way it goes. But then when you get to the point where you start to see the stark reality of how unbalanced it's been for a long time or that you've done a lot of things that have not felt right for you. That's a very difficult place to be and a difficult place to work yourself out of or to, again, what we're talking about is is honoring your own boundaries without hurting someone that you care about very deeply. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for me, and I don't know if this is always the best way to go, but for me, what is helping me set better boundaries is calling it out. Like the old me would just say, Oh, well, remember I kind of had that important thing I was worried about. Oh, yeah, how'd that go? It went fine. The new me is like, um, I'm a little hurt that you didn't remember that I told you blah, blah, blah. Right. And And that comes right back to owning your own power, which is a huge part of setting boundaries and honoring them. mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Talk a little bit about, um, I like what you were saying to me um, off the show about conductors and conduits. Yes. And and I think I just touched on that a little bit, but we, the other piece is just because we feel so deeply and we, we may pick up on things about other people or sense things. It doesn't mean we have a right to, or need to look into other people's feelings and thoughts. And that that's that fine line again of, you know, and I shared this on another show, another podcast that we did that, you know, just because you don't want to look in people's psychic windows, you don't want to own their feelings. Maybe someone is going through a really traumatic situation, but they need time to heal before they can even give voice to it. Just because you pick up on that doesn't mean that you have to comment or empathize. You you, you have to, you know, it, oh, how do I want to put this? Be aware of when it's appropriate to reach out and when it's appropriate to just wait patiently. So setting boundaries with yourself and your own um, impetus to talk and share and heal and offer to be there for someone. Yeah, I think that's really important. It it also links, sorry, but it also links with those parameters about not absorbing other people's things. If you're dealing with someone that you care about deeply who's going through a rough situation, but they're trying to process it and they're not ready to open it up and you drag all that into you, you're not going to have the skills to be able to help that friend or that person or you, it, you'll get too tangled up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And, th- and that can be a really fine line. Um, but at the same time, I think I know that there, there are some really good people um, in my life that I have learned from. You know, when I was going through um, my breast cancer stuff years ago, uh, one of my good friends said, 
Um, I'm, I am here for you. And here are my awesome skills that I can offer you. And she was like, I can drive you anywhere. I can take care of your kids and I can cook a great meal. Let me know when you need that. And I thought that was really cool because I had another friend who was always like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And I was like, well, look, I'm going through this. I'm not going to now create something I'm not going to come up with something you can do to help. I don't know. It was just so weird the way it was like, what can I do? What can I, I don't know. But I loved the way this friend was like, here are my talents. I had another friend who was like, look, I cleaned houses all through college. I am awesome at it. Let me come and clean your house. You know, like I love So like sometimes not intruding with what you're picking up on somebody, but just saying, I know this is a difficult time. Here's what I can do for you. Let me know when you need that. But that also keeps you from ending up doing something that you might not want to really do or you might not be good at or yes. you might really despise. But if, if you have someone you care about who's going through a, a health issue or whatever it might be, and they say, oh, would you mind doing this? And you're thinking, oh, I don't really want to do that, but how can I not? That, right. again, reflects the boundaries. The other piece to that is for empaths who have – and I'm queen of this club – having a hard time asking for help. Uh-huh. So the fact that your friend offered that, that that took so much pressure off of you. Yes. To have to come out and ask and say, I'm vulnerable right now and I can't do this for myself. Can you help me? Instead by saying, okay, I'll drive you, I'll make a meal, I'll clean your house. That is, that's brilliant and beautiful. Well, I'll challenge you as the queen of that, Denise, because... <laughs> Here's what I do is I don't ask for help and then I get hurt when it's not offered. Oh yes, that that's part of the package. Yep. yep. Or I'll mutter. I'll be doing something and I'll mutter to myself. Oh and yeah. I'll, and then and I'll and and that's not healthy. No. And then I'll crack myself up. But um it, it's that you know, it's it goes well again, it's reflective of what you said earlier when you know I'm going to call someone out on it and say, I was really hurt. Uh So if we can say, I'm upset that you offered to do this and then didn't show up, or I wish that you would follow through, you know, however you need to word that so that you're not left holding it and holding that because that festers. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And I think we have to be patient with ourselves too, because it it's, I'm still learning that. And it, it's taken me years. Um, in the past, when I would go to talk to a friend about how his or her behavior hurt me, my voice would tighten up. Like literally my vocal cords would tighten up. I would, sometimes I would cry for no reason. Um, or I would laugh inappropriately. Like, I'm so sorry to bring this. Like I would apologize for being mad at something. It's ridiculous, but I don't judge myself for that anymore because that was how I was learning how to empower myself. What helped me the most, and this is what I try to teach my daughters, is role-playing what I was going to say to the person before I would say it to them. That That's so funny you said that because it's I'll have the conversation in my head and I'll think because sometimes I'll want to blast someone. I want my roots come out very strongly and I just want to tear someone a new one. And I'll frame that in and I'll say, okay, what's the best way to handle this? Or how can I approach this without it becoming an attack or adversarial or defensive? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you're right, learning those skills. But it's also what we've talked about as far as this is always evolving and changing and growing, being an empath. You never, you never learn all the tricks. You, there's always a new level. There's always a new experience with it. And we're building even more of a foundation now for what comes next. And being able to find our voice is a huge part of that. Agreed. You know, I once had a full-on fight with my mom in my head doing that. <laughs> it was so funny. She's really good at pushing my buttons and you know, just demolishing my boundaries. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to role play what I'm going to say to her. So I was like, okay, mom, you did blah, blah, blah. And it hurt me. And I heard, I heard what I knew what she would say in response. And then I responded in my, I had this whole angry fight inside my head. And when I finally had the courage to go talk to her and she said exactly what I knew she was going to say in my head. (laughs) And it wasn't as angry as it was in your head. No. And I was prepared. 
but but that also is for again and I'm going to reflect some things in my my traditional work environment right now there are some very toxic people who have quite a nice collection of of puppet strings and they like to use them so they'll bait people or they'll use kids and and that's my you know my Achilles heel is don't treat kids poorly that's why I'm still there and I'll see them coming and I'll have these conversations and then I'll think, okay, I'm not going to buy into it. I'm not going to allow them to use those puppet strings on me. So it's, again, it's a learning process of when you start to recognize those people in your life or those scenarios or those repeat. or they're, And once you start paying attention, it's really kind of fun because it's like a puzzle. And there's one woman I work with who... She, she's very good at what she does. She's is, and I'm not saying that, but she has cue words that I've picked up on over the years. So when I hear those words, I know, uh oh, shields up, Denise. So it, it is it, when you know people really well, you start to learn their language, you start to read their body language, you start to pick up on on those nuances so that you don't fall into the same trap of ending up somewhere you don't want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you know what held me back for the longest time in setting good boundaries was the shock. I would always be so shocked that this person was so mean to me and I would go yes. to, and, and I would, I would share my rage with whatever poor person I felt the need to talk to, whether it be a coworker about a crazy, angry boss, or whether it be, you know, a good friend about another friend who had wronged me. And I, you know, in hindsight now, that's so passive aggressive to just share your rage with everybody else, except the person you're really mad at. And allowing yourself to sit in that energy of appalled shock, you know, like, I can't believe they did this to me. That's kind of victim me too. It also ties in with the need to eliminate negativity in your life. When you're talking about setting and and honoring your boundaries or someone else's, negativity is a huge, huge, huge part of that. And when you buy into the gossip or the passive aggressive or the, I can't believe that, you're you're bringing in, you're not, that's, well, I I tell myself this on a regular, it's not where I want to vibrate. And that is part of my, my little meditation before I go into certain places is I'll say, please help me honor my light as well as the light within other people. And, you know, help me to, to come from a place of integrity. I don't want to buy into it. Please help me stay away from the negativity. And I think that that's a really, really important skill for empaths. Yeah, I think so too. And I think a lot of um, intuitive empaths use this as a way of deflection so they don't have to work on their own stuff so they can create drama with the narcissist in their life as a way to avoid looking at their own issues. Yes. Because that's really where the hard work begins. And so I think empaths are really good at avoiding that. You know what? I'll just I'll just fix this fire over here in, in the family room and avoid the fire going on in my own kitchen. There's a familiarity to it. Yes. You know how to navigate that. Yes. And we can control that. Right. I always say with um, setting boundaries, the thing that I always remind myself is we treat people, we teach people how to treat us. So that's really important. And, you know, I think too, you know, you and I both are teachers and I think teaching a classroom, navigating a classroom has taught me so much about boundaries and earning respect you know, if I walk into a classroom and I'm nervous, my students are going to walk all over me. If I walk into a student, into a classroom and I'm falsely confident, they're going to see it and they're going to walk all over me. If I yes. walk into a classroom and I'm super angry and rigid and controlling, they're going to push back against that. But if I walk into a classroom and I'm like, you know, look, we're stuck here together for the next 16 weeks. Here's how we're going to make the best of it. We got to work together to make this fun and educational and uplifting. And I can only do it if I have your help and here's how we're going to do it. Boom. We're on the same page and we're setting healthy boundaries. And so I think that works in relationships as well. Your own personal relationships. You know, if someone, um, if someone hurts you, let's say um, a spouse, a partner, a sibling, 
a best friend, if somebody hurts you and you get upset and they say, I'm sorry, I won't do it again, and you forgive them, they're probably going to do it again. That next time is really important because if you forgive them again, well, then you've just created a pattern. An excellent point. You know, my um, I'm always going to my poor priest at whatever uh, church I go to throughout all the years. I'm, I always whatever priest I have, they change them out at my church every two years. But I'll go to them and I'll be like, okay, I don't understand this, and I don't understand that. Can you explain to me this? And I remember years ago, I said to a priest, I don't get the whole concept of of sin. Like, you know, if I, it says in the in the Bible, I'm not supposed to say like, oh my God. I was raised to say, oh, my God. I mean, my mom, if she stubbed her toe, Jesus Christ, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, like, so how is it a sin that I took that on? And I remember this priest said to me, a sin is doing a wrong behavior that hurts yourself or someone over and over without repentance. Ooh. And I think that's a really good definition of, I hate the word sin, but, but of, of, you know, messing up your life or someone else's life. It's when you do something over and over and over and you, you know, words to me in a relationship, words mean nothing, nothing. I don't put any stock in words. I only put stock in people's actions and how they treat me and how they treat themselves and how they treat others. And so I think as an empath, if someone hurts you and they apologize and they say all the right stuff, but then they do it again and you accept that again, then a pattern has been created. And so that's what I mean when I say we teach people how to treat us. Which goes along with that that quote of no one can make you feel inferior without your consent, because I think there is a very distinct line between Eleanor Roosevelt, but what there, a very distinct line between what you're saying and self-image, self-confidence, because we're so conscious and aware of, I don't want to hurt someone, or I don't want them to feel bad, or I don't, I want to be liked, that it will, will let it erode ourselves rather than hurting someone else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is why I think it's so important to accept yourself as you are right now, not as you will be when you lose 10 pounds, not as you will be when you get a good job, not as you will be when you pay off your credit cards, but loving and accepting yourself exactly as you are right now. That's the key to everything, in my opinion. You know, there's um, those of you who have listened to my psychic teacher's podcast know I'm a huge Eminem fan. And there's a scene at the end of his movie, Eight Mile, where he has to um, rap, you know, against another guy. And he knows the guy is going to go off on him for being white, um, for living with his mom in a trailer, you know, for having all these faults. And so what Eminem does in his rap um, duel is instead of attacking the guy he's going up against as you do he attacks himself and he turns it all into a positive so he owns all his faults like yeah i live with my mom in a trailer yeah i'm white trash yeah um i'm a white rapper i'm no vanilla ice though and he he gets it all out there and so the when it's the opponent's turn to duel him he's got nothing left to say because eminem has already owned all of it and, ter- and empowered himself with it as a result. And so to me, that's such a good lesson in life. Like if you're walking around going, oh, I'm not worthy because I have to lose 40 pounds, don't look at me, then that's what you're going to get. But if you walk around going, I am curvy, vivacious, and beautiful, and gosh darn it, y'all are going to just lucky enough to look at me, then that's what you're going to get. <laughs> Or if you walk right, around, it goes back to that vibration you send out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yes, and I, you know, I always say you can take any life and turn it into a positive or a negative, depending on how you look at it. So take your flaws and turn them into what makes you unique and powerful and amazing. No matter what those flaws are, you know, you could say, well, gosh, Samantha, I've been out of work for um, two years and, you know, now my marriage is ending. Well, I can turn that around and say, 
that's awesome. The universe has now decided that you're ready for a huge new chapter of your life to change and you don't have to go to that crappy dead end job anymore. Now you ha- you're poor enough to qualify for a grant to go back to school and get a degree in what you actually want to do. And now you're free of a relationship that's been holding you back for years. Right. So I think that's important for empaths to do in order to set boundaries with themselves as well. And then to go ahead and project those boundaries out into the world. Which ties in with, yes, we feel other people's things, but I truly believe that we also feel our own stuff so deeply. Like, uh, I just saw like a big um, magnifying glass will become so self-analytical that it can be, it can hold us back from really stepping into our own and enjoying being sensitive, enjoying being an empath, enjoying having this interaction with people on an energetic level. Yes, I think that is so true. Because really, that's what it needs to be. It needs to be an enjoyment to be around people. And sometimes as an empath, that's not always the case, which is why we need to give ourselves um, the solitude that we need. But that also comes down to embracing yourself. You know, like I used to criticize myself all the time for not being more social. You know, in in my family, it was like the biggest insult to call someone an introvert. And so Uh I denied that part of myself for a long time. And um, that's just never good. The minute I started owning and accepting how awesome it was to be an introvert, like I feel lucky. I feel really lucky that I don't need people in my life. I want people in my life, but I don't need people in my life. I am not afraid to be alone. And I see more people making dangerous mistakes in their life based on that one fear. So I think you can turn any perceived negative into a positive by gleaming it for the diamond that it is. Um, I want to talk too about that balance in setting boundaries of giving and receiving. You know how earlier you said empaths need to learn how to receive help and ask for help? Yes. I think that's so hard for empaths. And I think what what we all need to do is let go of this illusion that if we help everyone, everyone will like us. Right. You know, I like the Ben Franklin quote where he says the, the easiest way to get someone to like you is to ask them to do you a favor. Right. And, you know, um, psychology studies have actually proven Ben Franklin to be right, that people actually like you more if you ask them to do something for you rather than the the other way around. So it's important to remember to ask for help and to always think about the give and take flow that's going on in your relationships with people, whether it be at work or at the gym or in your neighborhood or at home or in your family, to have that give and take. Um, And I think that this goes for relationships uh, like parent and child. I think there needs to be a give and take there as well. You know, you need to tell kids like, hey, I've worked all week. I'm going to need your help cleaning the house this weekend or, you know, what have you. But to to set all of those boundaries in all of your life, whatever the different dynamic of the relationship is, but to think, what am I giving in this relationship? What am I receiving in this relationship? And to honestly look at that. It's a huge piece of self-care. I mean, self-care isn't about I exercise well, I eat you know, the right foods, I sleep. It's also about that piece, exactly what you're talking about, of can I accept help as well as give it? Can I, is there the balance piece? And I think that's something we, a lot of us struggle with in so many aspects of our life is finding that balance. And that's a hard one. Yeah. That's a really, really hard one. It is. But, you know, just remember, like people, they they want to help. They want to participate. Now, if you're, you know, if you're dating a narcissist, that's a different story and you should just jump shift if you can because that never goes well. Um, <laughs> but for most people, like they, they want that give and take. You know, there's... Um, there's a story I've, I've told before, but not on this podcast, that, that I always think about. My, my friend was telling me how her mom was working on uh, setting healthy boundaries in a relationship and learning to say no. And the therapist said to my friend's mom, um, I want you to stand up. And she was like, okay. And he stepped close to her. You know how we all have that square where we feel comfortable? Yes. 
he stepped into that square and she kind of didn't say anything. And then he stepped closer where they were like nose to nose. And she was kind of internally freaking out. Like, what is this about? You know, is he, what is he trying to do? And then he stepped closer and she just kind of looked around and looked at her watch. And then he stepped hard on her foot and she said, ow, and pushed him away. And he said, look at that. It took me physically hurting you before you loved yourself enough to declare your boundary. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's very powerful. Isn't it? He said, you were uncomfortable the minute I asked you to stand up. You were uncomfortable when I approached you. You were uncomfortable when I stepped closer. But you never said anything until I physically harmed you. Oh, that's incredible. And I think about that in our own lives. Like how often do people make us uncomfortable and we just kind of squirm or internally freak out, but we don't say anything until it's too late, until we're stepped on. Oh, I love that. Not I don't love that we get stepped on, but I love that. (laughs) That, That's an incredibly poignant um, little vignette to to really internalize and think about. Mm And it's a good, it's one of those nice things to think about when you're trying to set a boundary. Okay, where am I in this relationship? Did I just stand up? Has this person moved closer to me? Because I do well when I have those little pictures in my mind to say, where am I in this? Is he getting ready to stomp on my foot? Yes. Yes. Well, I'll tell you, I don't know if this is true of all empaths, but it's true for me. I always need validation of my feelings. And I don't know if it's because I grew up in a home where my feelings were always doubted or invalidated, or if it's part of being an empath. But if somebody is mean to me, I need like three other friends to validate me and go, yeah, that was wrong before I give myself permission to get outwardly angry. And that's something that I've really worked on hard, especially in the last two years in setting boundaries. You know, instead of I like instead of needing three people in the room to go, yeah, that therapist should not be walking that close to you. That's, that's not right. Instead of doing that, I, I am now getting to a point where I can say, I don't care if what anybody else thinks, this makes me uncomfortable. Therefore I'm setting my boundary. And I, and I think that's truly one of those progressive skills that we develop because I'm a little further down the path with that, not in the, Hey, look at me way, but that took, that's taking me years and years and years. And also a lot of the tumultuous things that really turned my life in a new direction happened quite a while ago now. So I've had more time to practice it, but it's only been, I would say in the last, interesting, you said two years, because I'm going to say it's been about two years where I've said, you know what, I don't, I know what I feel and I don't have to explain it to anyone. Yes. And that's huge. Yes. If someone had told me 10 years ago I would ever make that statement, there was no way in blank I would ever believe them. Yeah. Yeah. But I am proud of myself for saying blank and not the other word because that. <laughs> me too, I don't Denise. That's a first that. for you. Look, you're setting boundaries with your own <laughs> compulsion to swear. <laughs> Denise and I both share a love of the F word. But we will yes. not accost you with it on this show, we promise. Yeah. That was one of the first There's things you said call. to me when I met you, Denise, was, do you mind if I swear? <laughs> right. And I warn people about that because they don't expect it. No, I know. It's true. Uh, the the other thing is, I think we've, we've covered some beautiful things about, you know, finding that strength within, honoring the boundaries, way it may, ways it may present. But there's also... Uh, you know, those subtle ways of, and, and I'm guilty of this right now, is, you know, the workaholic thing. Are you oh. throwing yourself so into something so that you don't, you can deflect the other stuff on the periphery? Uh, because it, it, I don't know. I mean, I can always find something to do. Me too. There's always something else. I write a incredible to-do list. I, I'm gifted at that. And I, I'm really, oh, I want to get this done and this done and this done. But as far as just shutting off, and, and, and I keep telling myself this about the balance, you know, you need to find some play. It's time to lighten up a little bit. Don't make it all about the work. But when you get on that, and it, that, the work may be uh, a euphemism for some other aspect of someone's life. But I think when we get so 
focused on I have to do this and there's no room for anything else, that can be very, very detrimental for an empath and boundaries. You know, um, John Lennon has a quote, wasted time is not time wasted. Right. And that is so hard for me to remember because I don't, I have to do like 18 things before I can give myself permission to quote unquote be lazy. Yes. And I'm still, I'm still. Still working on that. That is nothing I have healed. That is nothing I can teach about because I'm still right there in it to win it. Exactly. And it it's, there's all, but it kind of ties in with, in a weird sort of way, when you're comfortable being by yourself, you know, you'll get to it eventually. Uh-huh. And it's, it's, it's okay. You're not, And maybe that's one of the reasons we prefer to be introverts and by ourselves, because we're not letting anyone down if it doesn't get done except ourselves. Right. Right. Well, and I think, too, as as introverts and empaths, like for me, I love to create stuff for myself to do because I'm so passionate and interested in so many different things that like the idea of sitting and just like watching movies all day is kind of boring to me. Yes. Um, but at the same time, I feel like my, my body, my spirit needs that lazy day off to recharge. And to gift yourself with that and to, to say it's okay to shut down for a day. It's okay to just throw it into neutral and not have that constant uh, pinball game in your head saying, oh, I've got to do this and this and this, and I have to keep going and keep pushing. And I know that there are a lot of people who know me that are listening to this that are laughing pretty hard right now. So because that's not my default position, and it needs to become more of a, again, setting those time boundaries with yourself to say, this is when I work, this is when I relax, this is when I am social or not social or whatever. Yeah. And then you teach people how to treat you with that too, because like I'll, I'll do that. Like I'll have a day. My kids love it when I do declare a movie day, like, and we'll just, you know, make popcorn and and melted M&Ms and just sit on the couch and we'll watch Mm -hmm. like a Harry Potter marathon. They love that. And sometimes I'll have a friend who will call me and be like, Hey, I want to check out that new store. Can you run down there with me? And I'll say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm watching TV with the kids. And they'll be like, yeah, I know, but can you just run to the store? You know, like, hello. And there's a lot of times where I'm like, oh, well, I know, we did talk about checking out this new place. Maybe I should go. But I think it's important to set boundaries with yourself and, and with your friends and say, no, this is this is my me time. This is my day off. This is what I'm doing. And it can feel awkward and weird for an empath to let someone down. But I think it's important to practice doing that because ultimately yes. we can't let ourselves down. And I think when we say yes to others, we're saying no to ourselves very often. And it goes along with the very pe- prevalent feeling that's for a lot of folks right now is, and I've said this as well, you know, making the most of our time on the planet. Am I doing this in a joyful way? Am I enjoying my life or am I trudging through it? Oh, the hamster wheel thing. Yeah, I was just telling my friend that the other day. I said, I'm having a hamster wheel month where I'm just going, 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 and I'm not enjoying, enjoying, enjoying. And I think it's important to recognize that and just put a big stop sign to that. Yes, very much so. And also about keeping ourselves grounded, because I think especially if for a lot of folks that are probably listening to this, they are in either healing fields or intuitive fields, or they use that as a basis for how they're navigating their lives. And making sure to remind yourself to stay grounded, to to let those heavier emotions just go back down into the earth or however you, whatever skills you use to ground yourself, make that a constant reminder throughout the day to just kind of release and let things, let some of that emotional stuff go. Well, and I don't know about you, but you you know that phrase that's around all the time, stop the glorification of busy? Yes. Have you seen that? I I just, I love that because I I don't know. I mean, you know, Denise, your kids are um, grown and out of the house now, but 
I don't know if you dealt with this when they were younger, but a lot of my mom friends, they glorify that busyness. And I feel that they define themselves and their kids by how busy they are. And that's really hard for me because sometimes I'll find myself getting caught up in that. And then I'm like, what am I doing? Like, this is ridiculous. I'm not enjoying this. I'm just pushing and rushing and I'm not being or enjoying and I'm not modeling effective, healthy behavior for the kids. If I'm telling them you have to be in two after school activities a week, I mean, for what, you know, like I always want to say to half of these moms, like, do you want your child to grow up and be a professional soccer player or, or what, like what's happening here? When, when the boys were younger, and I remember this vividly, is that you know they'd have baseball practice or whatever it might be, and I would always try to arrange it, and I had that you know that benefit that what I did for a living, I I could adjust my schedule in the afternoon, and I was always there with them, and I remember this mother pulling up with her son, and she was frantic, and she literally threw a granola bar at him and said, here, we don't have time to get you anything to eat. Eat this. We'll eat later. And the kid had this look on his face, and I thought he had just gone from boom, 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 one thing right after another. And there was so much pressure to, you're going to be the best on the team. You're going to be this. You're going to be... And I thought, wow, not even to take the time to sit down and how was your day? Have a meal. Eat a sandwich. Do something. Instead, it was that intensity. And that that's not only hard for us, but also there's it's that competitive piece that people can fall into. Yes, and I think that's hard on um, the kids, especially. Like I have, I have three daughters, and two of them are artistic introverts like me, and one of them is um, also artistic but very athletic and outgoing. So she does a lot of after school activities, but my other two do not. They come right home from school and they just, they go for walks in the woods. They ride their bikes. They wait for the ice cream man to come. They, um, paint seashells. Like they just do whatever they want. And then they do homework and dinner and it's so relaxing. And I can't tell you how many mom friends are like, I can't believe you allow that. I can't believe you don't push them to right. like, it's a bad thing. Yeah. Like it's a bad thing. Like I'm holding them back in life somehow. I get a lot of subtle pressure from, from moms going like, gosh, I can't imagine. Yes. But you know, my girls love it. They're, they're very close. They have great friends. Their grades are flourishing and they're just, they're just happy little people. And, and I think it's because they know whether or not they score 18 soccer goals or, you know, 45 volleyball points, I'm going to love them. And, um, I think, I think we need to teach that message, not only to our kids, but to ourselves. Cause I might be okay at teaching that to my kids, but I'll tell you, Denise, I'm not good at teaching that to myself. Like I, I will literally consider it a bad day if I didn't clean the house, do laundry, answer all my emails. Do you know what I mean? Like I have this little checklist in, in my head that approves me or disapproves of me. But what's beautiful in all of that is you're breaking that cycle. Your girls will have that skill set of, I can have this balance in my life. I can do something that keeps me centered and grounded and happy, and I don't have to buy into the other piece that, that we've been either raised with or, or acquired or whatever that might be or out of circumstance. I mean, that's the other piece. Sometimes you're just so blank busy because you have to be to keep up. And if if you're in a situation where your primary custodial parent or you have elderly people you're taking care of or you know your job is 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 so intensive and then you're trying to go home and raise your family full time those things that's that's the reality of this and then you throw on top of that being an empath and trying to keep that balance so don't you find that so many of these aspects it's such a fine line that does that differentiates between is this a healthy behavior that's empowering and helping me to step into my own and and set these these boundaries or is this something that I'm so far to the extreme that I can't even imagine how to get back to that other end Yes. And I think that's why that whole awareness piece is really, really key. Like you, you had mentioned, okay, when you say before 
you say yes or no to something. There's questions you need to ask yourself. Do you, did you write those down? Because they were really good. I did, and and it was, um, you know, do you really wa- do I really want to do this? Because if it's coming from a place of guilt or expectation or and this is I mean obviously there are some things we have to do we might not want to but we suck it up and we do them but if it's a a social event or um, someone saying oh would you mind doing this or can you please do that and and if it really if you can take a second say do I really want to do that that's a for me anyway a huge dilemma because of that expectation from myself that I am supposed to immediately say yes Learning no is a big, big skill. Yep. Um, and the other piece, will you enjoy doing it? Will I enjoy helping someone move this or showing up at this event or whatever it might be? And and uh, the, the funny part of that is if you're stuck on a loop tape of trying to keep everything going and someone suggests something that might be fun, you may not give it the, the, the credence it deserves because oh, how am I going to fit that in too? When probably the healthiest thing you could do would be say, you know what, this stuff can wait and I'm going to go and do something fun. I think I will enjoy this. Or no, that's like having a root canal. I'm not going. And then uh, can you actually do it? And I, I think that that's a, a, that goes along with what we're saying of if you have so much on your plate right now and someone asks you to add one more thing, and you know you're not going to be able to, but you don't feel like you can say no or you feel like you have to do it. Big red flags. Big red flags. Huge red flags. Yeah. Um, or if it's beyond your – and I'm notorious for being able to figure things out or working myself to a nub to, to say um, – you know, I always say, you know, working yourself down to an old lady's rosary bead is just, you know, you just wear away at it from constant. And it's, I may say, oh, sure, I'd be glad to help you when I have no skill set to do it, but I'll figure out how to do it because I don't want to let you down. Yep, that's Does that's that the sense? key is not wanting to let someone down. You know, my um, one of my daughters had her birthday party this weekend. And so, you know, it was a big thing. I was doing this like huge scavenger hunt that I had to plan. I had created the clues and then I had to hide the stuff all around this different shopping mall. And then I was going to take them to dinner and then do a sleepover at my house. So it was going to take a lot of time to set it up. That morning I had to pick up, I promised I would pick up my daughter from this uh, PSAT prep class she had to go to. So my friend was going to drive them and then I was going to pick them up. And then I had to take my youngest daughter to um, eye therapy at noon and then the party started at four. So that's, that's what my day looks like on Saturday, you know, pick up one daughter at 10 o'clock, take another daughter 30 minutes down the road at noon and then run home, pick up all the kids and the cake and then run to the shopping center, hide all the clothes, all of that. So anyway, I did not, I knew I had to take something off my plate, but I didn't want to tell my friend picking up, her child and my child was too much for me because she was already taking them. And this is how weird I am. I didn't want to call. So if any of you guys are thinking eye therapy, this is so cool. One of my kids has dyslexia. That's not cool really, but well, we've learned to see it as cool. But what's cool is that you can actually sign your child up for eye therapy and it helps retrain their eyes so that the dyslexia doesn't inhibit their ability to read so much. Isn't that really neat? So anyway, so she goes to eye therapy every week um, for that. I did not want to call up her eye therapist and cancel the appointment because I knew it would mess up her Saturday. Yes. (laughs) I mean, how silly is that, you know? And so I finally was like, Samantha, you are working on setting healthy boundaries for yourself. You were trying to do all of this on your own. You are not going to get any award for being some super chauffeur. So take something off your plate. So I called my friend and I just said, can I take them to the class early in the morning and you pick up? That way it would give me more of a time during the day. And then I called the eye therapist lady and, and rescheduled the appointment. It was no big deal. Nobody cared. Nobody was like, you're a bee, Samantha. You're so selfish. No, everyone was like, yeah, I totally get that. No problem. So sometimes 
we create this drama in our head and we think, well, if I just handle everything, nobody's going to get mad at me. I'm not going to ruffle any feathers and everything's going to be fine. But then we end up becoming like Atlas, you know, the guy who had to carry the world on his his shoulders. And that's not good for anyone. No. No, it isn't. So, but that's a, a, it's very, very true. And, and how sometimes when we'll arrange our schedule because someone is insistent, oh, I have to talk to you, I have to have a reading right now, I can't, please, 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 and you adjust everything, and then at the last minute they cancel, and I'll find myself saying, you know, why, why do they feel that they can treat me that way? Bingo, because I allowed yes. them to. Yep. Yeah. And, and we do that in our, in our, whatever our work may be. You know, I know when mm-hmm. I was starting out doing readings in an office, I was complaining because if you wanted an 8 a.m. reading, okay. Did you needed a 9 p.m. reading? Okay. And I was complaining to my friends right. that, like, my schedule was all over the place. And, and one of my friends was like, well, then change that. <laughs> and I was that like, easy. what do you mean? But, but not if and, you're and he was like, I don't expect, like my doctor to be available at 9 p.m. for appointments, why should anyone expect their psychic to be? Like, it's fine to set boundaries with your schedule. So all of that stuff is a learning curve for, I think, for most intuitive empaths because we're here to be light workers. We are here to be helpful healers for everybody else. That's our sole purpose. And so when we're not doing that, we feel like we're failing somehow and it feels uncomfortable and awkward. But the only one who pays the price is us. And if we aren't at our optimum levels, we're not going to help anybody. Very, very well put. Yes. And that's the key, which goes back to the balance. But as, as and you know, I'm really into this whole polarity thing because it fascinates me how much it keeps showing up in so many aspects. But part of this, part of the reason we're even doing this show is because it applies to so many people now. If we had done this 15 or 20 years ago, it would have been a much smaller part of the demographic. It would have been, you know, we'd still attract light workers, but now there are so many of us and we're really coming together. And, and I think it's a huge part of where things are evolving as, as culturally, socially, and, and uh, even as a, a planet. I agree. I agree. I think the one thing I want people to take away from this hour talking about this is is that idea that you don't have to say no right away and you don't have to say yes right away. To take that moment to pause, whatever anyone is asking of you, whether it's a physical thing like helping out with a project or it's an emotional thing like uh, sitting with them for lunch and listening to their problems or it's a work thing, whatever it is, you don't have to say yes or no right away. Just say, let me check my schedule and I'll get back to you. Giving yourself that the power of the pause, I think is so important to just not jump in right away with a yes or a no. When I first started reading and learning about the power of no, I kind of got a little giddy with that power. And people would ask me to do stuff and I'd be like, no, can't do it. (laughs) (laughs) And then sometimes I'd walk away and go, wait, I kind of would want to do that. So just give yourself the power of the pause and and just say, let me check my schedule and I'll get back to you. And also that it's, you you nailed it, it's not a black and white thing. Sometimes we do need to do things or support people. We may not want to be doing that, but we need to because it's it's just the right thing to do. Yeah. And try to, and if that's the case, which you will find several times in your life, that will be the case. But still try to find... I don't know if control is the right word, but try to find your point of power in that obligation. You know, like in my kid's school, we have to donate, I think it's 500 hours a year. You have to volunteer. And for years, I was always the room mom. And the teachers always asked me to be the room mom. And I was so honored. Like, oh, they called me. They must really like me. 
Finally, when one of my kids was in fourth grade, the the teacher asked me and she was like, you have to, and I said, no. And she was like, you have to be my room mom. And I was like, why? And she was like, because you're the only parent I can rely on to be easy and not create drama. Isn't that nice? Wow. So it's not that I was so great and wonderful and efficient as a room mom. It was because I was so easy and such a pushover. So finally I looked at this thing and I was like, okay, I have to donate these 500 hours. I don't like being a room mom. I hate creating all these stupid parties and figuring out who's going to bring the fruit salad and who has the nut allergy. And finally I was like, you know what I would really love to do is just spend time in the library. Like that's where Mm-hmm. you know, my heaven is, is in a library. And I felt bad because it meant I wouldn't be in the classroom with my kids. But at the same time, I was like, you know what? I did that for years. I didn't really like it. This is what I want to do. And so, yes, I have an obligation to volunteer 500 hours a year, but I feel like I took that power back by saying it's going to be in the library. And I love sitting in that library every week. Wow. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. That is fantastic. And it also a beautiful way to tie up setting boundaries and honoring those boundaries for yourself. Yes, it comes back to awareness and just always if we can be aware. I think us, we empaths are so aware of everybody else's emotions, but I think we deserve we um, owe it to ourselves to honor our own emotions and to check in and just say, am I honoring my emotions in this? Yes. Or someone else's emotions. Am I honoring my needs or someone else's needs? Right. Because it's truly the only way we can have healthy relationships with other people and with ourselves. Do you think we've said everything we can about boundaries? I think we've covered this. Yes. And if someone has a question or a concern or would like further depth, they could, you know, mention that on the Facebook page and we'll see what okay, we can do Okay, sounds good. It. Yes, please check us out on Facebook, um, Enlightened Empaths. You'll find Denise and me there. And please subscribe to us on iTunes if you like us and take a moment to leave us a review if you have found these shows helpful because it's um, a great way for other intuitive empaths to find our show. And that way we can keep making connections, which is what this is all about. Yes. Yes. Very All right. Much thank so. you so much, everybody, for listening. We hope you have a great week and go out there and set your boundaries. Yes. Bye bye. Bye bye.